Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. And you're listening to the Grok Science Show. That's right. It's a weekly look at the world of science, technology, and their effects on our daily lives. Coming up on today's program, Catherine Miles will join us to discuss Quakeland. So stay tuned for all of this. Plus the Grokatron 5000. And our world-famous question of the week. Coming right up. Here. On the Grok's Science Show. To the Grox Science Show. Well, earthquakes. You need to worry about them only if you're in San Francisco, right? Well, wrong. We've been making enormous changes to subterraneous America, and Mother Earth, as always, has been making some of her own. Well, in her new book, Quakeland, On the Road to America's Next Devastating Earthquake, acclaimed science journalist and author Ms. Catherine Miles explores uh, the topic of earthquakes around the country. Uh, and uh, Ms. Miles, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grox Science Show. I'm very glad to be here. Uh, certainly a fascinating book you've written here, Quakeland, uh, which you talk about the threat of earthquakes around the uh, U.S. I'm curious how you became interested in this topic here. It was actually by way of Superstorm Sandy, which is the subject of my previous book. And I was really interested in that book at looking at how we deal and confront risk and then the, the decisions that we make and what the ripple effects are, particularly in terms of things like infrastructure. Um, and I think we're seeing that writ large right now with, with Harvey in a lot of ways and what's happening to Houston. And as I was wrapping up that research, I started to think, you know, if, if this is what a, a hurricane can do to a place like New York City, um, what, what will other natural disasters do? And are are we any better prepared for them? And and the short answer is no, we're not. It's just sort of a general level of unpreparedness for any kind of disaster. It's sort of a variety of things. From a sort of you know sort of anthropological perspective, as a culture, we we tend to not be very good at 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 rightly estimating risk. We tend to put a lot of time and consternation into things that aren't actually all that great of a risk, like a nuclear meltdown or a terrorist attack, and we tend to really underestimate the potential for risk and things like natural disasters. And, and we tend to have a lack of imagination when it comes to preparing for those disasters and taking the necessary steps to make sure that, that we can weather them in, in one piece. Do you think we're just sort of better at the response for disasters more so than the preparation for disasters? That's right. That's right. And, you know, we're an incredibly generous culture. And if you take a look at something like Harvey or Superstorm Sandy, you see this outpouring of support um, almost to excess sometimes, you know, where they're getting more sort of, you know, soup and teddy bears than they know what to do with. But, but that front end preparation, that investing in the front end, that's something that historically we haven't done very well. And that's particularly true when it comes to things like our nation's infrastructure. And it's also true when it comes to things like investing in early warning systems or tsunami detection systems. Systems, equally as important. On the matter of earthquakes, which this book is about here, uh, what led you to the, looking at earthquakes and really looking at earthquakes beyond Ring of Fire, as it were? So I knew, I'm sure, as most of your listeners did, that, that earthquakes are a very real problem for, for places like, for instance, Southern California. I mean, it's sort of, you know, an inescapable part of reality there. Um, but, but I didn't know, and I was curious to see to what degree earthquakes were a problem elsewhere. I grew up in the Midwest, and I can remember full well um, when, when 
a group of scientists became very convinced that the new Madrid fault was going to, to result in a major earthquake. This was in the early 90s. Um, and I remember, you know, going from tornado drills and fire drills to earthquake drills. So, so I knew it was in other places of the country, but I had no idea just how pervasive the threat is and just how many unlikely places, places like downtown New York City, are in fact at real risk for a quake. Is it just because these places are not as prone to the frequency of earthquakes that they, they haven't really designed their infrastructure for any kind of earthquake? That's certainly possible uh, and probable. You know, the last moderate even earthquake in New York City was, was you know, 140 years ago, uh, which incidentally, uh, we believe makes us overdue for another earthquake in New York City. Um, but, you know, New York has changed so much since then that, you know, the, the effect of that earthquake would be very different. So that's definitely part of it. I think that that return rate can, can seem so much bigger in the East. Um, you know, the other part of it is that as a nation, you know, the, the last really sort of big earthquake that we experienced was the 1980s. 89 World Series quake, the Loma Prieta quake. And, you know, in that amount of time, I think we've really kind of become complacent and, and not really sure what, what, if anything, we need to do. We've let other things sort of percolate to the top of our priority list. You went all over uh, the U.S. looking at uh, the threat of earthquake. What was probably the most surprising one you found in terms of either our preparedness for it or the, or the possible of real damage from an earthquake? Without a doubt, it was this, this um, concept of induced seismicity. Um, we've seen this writ large in Oklahoma in the last few years where uh, wastewater injection re- relating to, to fracking has created these huge swarms of earthquakes in a place that had next to no seismicity beforehand. And, and uh, you know, we become familiar with this idea that this is a phenomenon that happens in places like Oklahoma City, and it is, and it's real, and it's important. Um, it's not the only induced seismicity that's happened. Uh, dam building, reservoir building causes really sometimes, you know, really, you know, quakes capable of doing a lot of damage. We see that with things like mining, uh, digging tunnels, blasting quarries, building high rises. All of these things can induce seismicity and in some cases induce quakes that in turn induce really major quakes. Are people then beginning to appreciate this now that it is becoming more of a human-induced phenomenon, or where are we in terms of trying to estimate the risk of these new threats to uh, seismicity? There's a real divide happening right now. I think the scientific community has reached as close a thing as consensus as can be reached that this wastewater injection that's happening in Oklahoma is, in fact, causing the earthquakes. Um, The USGS is now issuing induced seismicity maps, which is something brand new that in their history. Um, Certainly the people living in places like Oklahoma are well aware of the connection and and well aware of the damage, Uh, but there's a gap between between that knowledge and that acceptance and what we see in terms of policy, what we see in terms of lawmakers, and that's particularly true in places that really depend upon resource extraction um, for their community or or their state bottom line. You know, you see this, this, this major sort of ethical dilemma between, you know, do we stop the thing that's supporting our community? Do, are we willing to take the risk that this thing may, you know, result in, in devastation? In what sense, then, can we uh, up our infrastructure so that if it does occur, it, it won't cause as much damage? Right, and that is, that's, that's the number one question we should all be asking right now. And, you know, uh, our infrastructure is, is woefully outmoded at just about every single level. And so investing in, for instance, a new grid, you know, investing in things like um, resilient bridges, you know, these are things that are, that are definitely going to help when, if and when the next earthquake happens. But, 
but they're also going to help us in terms of our national productivity. They're going to help us in terms of our ability to, you know, meet a rising population, meet growing industry. And so it's not just about preparing for the natural disaster. It's, it's really about taking that notion of resiliency and really embracing it. Is there an effort uh, being done to help uh, predict the arrival of these earthquakes? We have tried. We, we at one time as a country had a very robust earthquake prediction program. Um, so far, while there have been some spotty successes here and there, scientists who have accurately predicted that an earthquake will happen, in general, we do not have that capability, and, and a lot of seismologists say that, that we never will. Um, and so knowing that, you know, the, the, what they say is, listen, you know, we could go down that road. We could invest billions of dollars in, in what may or may never come to fruition. Um, or we could take, you know, even a fraction of that, and we could invest in a really robust early warning system, something that countries like Mexico and, and Japan already have in place. And with that early warning system, we could give people 30, 60, even 90 seconds of notice, which doesn't sound like much, but can often be the difference between life and death. What could be done? I mean, if, if you're just sort of an average individual, you thought maybe not living in California was a good idea to avoid this, uh, what, what can we all do now? Right, and we can't all relocate. And, and where would we relocate, right? Like we could all pick up and go to North Dakota, but, you know, then tornadoes would be a risk. So, you know, certainly that's not that practical for a variety of reasons. But in the book, I talk a lot about this idea of disaster mitigation, um, what we can do as individuals, even, even individuals who don't necessarily have the resources to retrofit their homes. You know, and I talk a lot about simple things that, that you could do in an afternoon, like pack a go bag that has supplies, you know, because what we've seen, for instance, in, in Houston with Harvey is, you know, even the most talented first responders, the Coast Guard, the National Guard, they're not necessarily going to be able to get to you. That's really true in an earthquake. The rubble created may mean that those, those C-130 cargo planes can't land, that those, you know, um, ambulances or Humvees or whatever else can't get down these roads. And so, so we may well be in a situation, you know, as a family or as a community where, where help is, is days or even longer away. So making sure that we have supplies, making sure that we have water and medicine and clothes, making sure that we have a way to communicate if our cell phones and our landlines go down. Is there a place where we could meet our children, where they know that that will come find them? Those sorts of things are, are great programs to have in place for all kinds of disasters. Uh, we are running slightly out of time. I'm curious if uh, maybe you have some final words regarding uh, the threat of earthquakes in, in the U.S. and, again, what people can to find out more about them. You know, it's an ever-changing, ever-evolving process. The USGS updates their maps every few years. Um, they've, they've now started to include this induced seismicity in their maps, and so definitely being aware of what the risk is in your area, being aware of where the vulnerabilities are, are really important, I think, and, um, you know, sort of recognizing how much is not known about this. It's such a new, young science, and, and we still have a long way to go. Well, the new book is called Quakeland on the Road to America's Next Devastating Earthquake, and the author is Ms. Catherine Miles. And uh, Ms. Miles, I want to thank you very much for joining us today on the Grok Science Show. It was a real pleasure. Thank you for having me. And that's all for this week's edition of the Grok Science Show. Make sure you tune in next week for more from the world of science and technology. If you'd like to contact us here, you can email us at science at groks.net. For Grok Science, I'm Frank Ling. And I'm Charles Lee. Make sure you also see us on the web at www.groks.net. Have a great afternoon and keep on grokking.
Thank you.